0: Great news, Buggy fans! Shoot the shit is back! That's right, season two, with all new interviews from folks across the wide world of this sport of buggy that we all love. So strap in your safety harnesses, look for those shoot flags as we turn into another great round of buggy stories as we shoot the shit. Well, here we are, another episode of Shoot the shit. uh, This week, talking with a couple of the very unsung heroes of Buggy, that is Radio Club, Uh, people who are really integral to making roles, race day, everything happen smoothly and safely, Uh, and a group I really wanted to just understand a little bit better uh, what their role is and how they got tied in so closely with Buggy, Uh, so without further ado, let's go ahead and meet this week's guests in uh, the most Radio Club way possible.
1: Is this frequency in use? This is KB3KQM operating as W3VC, convening the Carnegie Mellon Buggy Safety Net at 7.30 a.m. This net meets every Saturday and Sunday 0600 to 900 during the spring and autumn on this frequency. All amateurs not participating are requested to remain clear of the frequency for the duration of the net. At this time, we will ask all stations participating in the net to please check in with net control. When you reach your location, give net control's call sign, your call sign, your location, and request to enter the net. This is W3VC, net control.
2: W3VC? W3VC, this is KB1SZH at SHOOT requesting to check into the net.
1: QSL, KB1SZH, you are now checked in as SHOOT. Can we get a course status at your location?
2: Barricades are up. Nobody's on the course. Uh, Bales are in place. Course is closed and clear.
1: QSL shoot. I'm Catherine Crawford. I have been part of Buggy since 98. Uh, as a student, I was part of the CIA, uh, part of their rebuilding years. Uh, as an alumni, stuck around for a bit and decided that I really wanted to help. And the only way I could help <laughs> as an alumni and still be part of it was radio club. Friends convinced me to join. Uh, so I've got a lot of years of building up through that and then being part of head of that organization in terms of the buggy part of it for several years.
2: I'm Ben Wasserman. I joined Radio Club as a freshman in 2009 and started joining week, uh, weekend morning role practices and stuck with that uh, in 2010. I took over for Catherine to give her a break. Well-deserved. Um, and kept going that until I graduated in 2013 when I handed it off because I moved across the country.
1: Yeah, it, it was harder for me to hand off because I was still there. I'm like, please, please, someone take over.
2: Right. I'm going right. to Los Angeles. Good luck.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, it's very interested to, to hear about kind of some of the on the ground experience. But I guess first, you know, what is Radio Club? I feel like it's one of those things. It's not WRCT, I can tell you that much. Uh, but I feel like a lot of people don't have too much insight into actually, you know, what y'all are, what you do, maybe more broadly, but then specifically even within Buggy.
1: So as you stated, one of the very first thick pieces of confusion is that radio broadcast is separate from the amateur radio group that we are. So W3BC is the club that... Uh, It attracts a lot of people for amateur radio, uh, activities and how we react. How we apply that to buggy specifically is that we stand around the course and report on the conditions around the course so that sweepstakes always has an idea of what's going on. We are the eyes and ears. We let sweepstakes know, is there an issue? Are they clear to roll buggies? Do they, are they needed anywhere on the course?
2: Yeah, doing a net, as it's called, or coordinated radio activity is something that is popular in the amateur radio community, but it's usually only done for large events, maybe emergency preparedness drills or actual emergencies or marathons or similar events. We're somewhat unique in that we have this weekly net, not just for conversation that a lot of groups do, but actually for doing course safety for some actual other group.
0: And when you say net, is that like a technical term in terms of like full coverage, if you will, kind of of a specific event or area, or how does that
2: define? Um, It means that the communication is structured. So normally you could just talk, as long as you say your ID every 10 minutes, you can just talk whenever the air is clear and someone else could talk. In a net, there's someone in charge of the net that's regulating who's allowed to talk when, and it makes sure that people don't talk over each other and that anything important gets communicated quickly.
0: And I guess, I know, Catherine, it sounds like you came in to 3VC a little bit later maybe, but like, Ben, I guess you had maybe some interest in amateur radio or, or whatnot. Like, did you have any idea about the buggy thing coming in or sort of what got you initially into there?
2: Um, I actually came in knowing nothing about any of it. I had heard of ham radio before, but one of my floor mates, Dom, dragged me to radio club one afternoon and it sounded interesting. So I followed him along. And when the radio club was like, yeah, we meet up on the week. We meet up on Thursday nights in the shack and hang out and we do this buggy thing. I was like, sure, I don't mind waking up at 6 a.m. on a Saturday. That sounds fun. Let's go check that out.
1: (laughs) Where we typically recruit from tends to be some of the more technical clubs, so we have a lot of overlap with uh, AB Tech, or at least we did at the time, uh, and other groups like that, which does cause its own problems. There were frequently times we like, oh, hey, we've got this really interested person, but now they are heading off to leadership in these other roles. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, although I can confirm that it is not a mutually exclusive. I was president of radio club my sophomore year and my either half of my senior year or my grad student semester. I forget which. Um, And I was also had baby tech my senior year. So it is possible to do both, but there are also definitely some baby tech people that would either have to go to bed early from tech events to wake up for buggy, or they would just stay up all night long, finish cleaning up the show Saturday night, and then do buggy in the morning and then sleep all day Sunday.
0: Wow. Yeah. Go straight from sunshine to right out on the course. Cool. So so let's talk a little bit more about the specifics with buggy, right? You know, you talk about the net and the safety. I imagine, does there end up being some amount of sort of training required with that just to get familiar? And like, because I imagine you have to be pretty well steeped at some point in buggy rules and all that type of stuff.
1: I The rules are small part of it, because I mean, we aren't, we aren't focused on like how the buggies are constructed or the logistics of that individual teams need to worry about. Our concern is um, the very structured aspect of the free rolls itself of how is, is the course clear enough that we can send buggies around. So to clarify where the key positions are. So we need a minimum of three people. And if we don't have three people, like people can't roll. So it is really critical, that aspect of it. So someone at top of hill, that is typically also our net control, the person controlling the net. And they're also speaking with sweepstakes, making sure sweepstakes is completely informed of what's going on. The two other points that are very critical are, uh, if you're familiar with the free roll section where the stop sign is before FIPS, we typically have someone on the outside of that. We call that Panther for Panther Hollow Bridge. The other third part is the shoot. Obviously that's something's going to go wrong, most likely it's going to be there. So we really need someone there to double check and keep reporting what's going on. And so net control, as Ben mentioned, is controlling like who can talk when. And is double checking, it's like, hey, asking everyone, hey, are we clear to go? Is everything ready? And then when the buggies go around, each of those positions are reporting when a buggy passes their location, but typically like Panther one, Panther two, to indicate that the buggy passed their location. We don't care who, we don't care what what special driver buggy combination. It's just how many went past our location. And then Clear uh, is Shoot's way of mentioning it's like, hey, not only did all the buggies went past and the follow car went past, and once we know that those buggies are up and out of the way, we let Sweepstakes know that, hey, you are now free to send the next organization.
2: Yeah, net control is at the top of the hill because... A, that's where sweepstakes is. That's where all the coordination is so they can talk in person to sweepstakes. And B, our radios normally don't actually talk directly to each other. They're talking via a repeater, which Radio Club owns and maintains in the top of Hammerslag Hall, conveniently the tallest point on campus. But if the repeater ever goes out, we want to make sure we can keep operating and buggy doesn't stop rolling. So net control is actually at a point where they have enough line of sight that they can do point to point to all the radio other positions around the course, even if the other positions around the course can't reach each other directly.
1: To clarify something, you sort of mentioned walkie talkies earlier. It's considerably more than that. It's we do all of our members who are out there do have to get an FCC license for amateur ham radio. So that's one of the minimum requirements. And so the repeaters that we're using, the repeater, the club repeater, and the individual pieces of equipment, it's a little bit more substantial than like a walkie talkie
2: you'd get in a toy store.
0: In that sense, like, is it like a specific frequency or, or something you all are on? And it's kind of like that yeah.
2: is. Okay. Yep. So the club got our repeater coordinated with other repeaters in the area to a specific receive and transmit frequencies. So we all use that pair of frequencies. When we are doing rolls. we actually call onto the repeater, make sure no one's using it very odd at six in the morning on a weekend. Um, But then we actually call that we're locking the repeater down and we're reserving that frequency only for our communications net. Mm. And when we're done with the net, we make another call on the repeater saying, okay, we're now done. We're clear of the frequency. It can resume for general uncoordinated traffic.
1: (laughs) It's usually us coordinating breakfast.
0: (laughs) Right. I was going to say at that point, it's pretty much only radio club. Like what is uncoordinated traffic? you know, on like a Tuesday afternoon or whatever. Is there much going on or?
2: Not too much. It tends to be someone calling in in between classes or if they have the gap saying if anyone's around, anyone wants to go grab food in Oakland. Yeah, it's, so
0: it's, it's kind of this weird proto group chat or whatever that requires yeah. an
2: FCC license. But before group chats really became a thing, especially, on, especially uh, in your pocket, the radio was a convenient way of doing that
0: awesome i had no idea the like depth of it all and the the detail it it does seem like some of it ends up getting fairly detailed in terms of what you will communicate to the safety chair so stuff like loss of mass or or what will be with that is that something that evolved over time or kind of like how does that knowledge and and all that get discussed or like presented as like okay this is a need um for communication
1: So when I first joined Radio Club, there was a pretty substantial handbook that was actually quite long. And my degree from Carnegie Mellon is in technical writing. I looked at this massive long thing and said, I am too bored reading this and this is my job. So I went through and I actually pared it down to like a two page, like here's like the key thing. So we ended up making this little cheat sheet that we could hand everyone. So I would try to get through like a have people shadow the first time there if be like hey come down hang out with each of these positions to get a sense of it but also like the key things of like yeah this is our this is our precise communication method because this is the most important bit and here are the things that you need to tell us what happens especially at the beginning of the year when buggies are going much slower we'd get pauses be like hey the buggies stopped before the monument it needs help like buggy right out of gas, or the more severe cases of, hey, buggy stopped, buggy crashed, please send sweepstakes immediately. Or you get the really odd ones where, okay, loss of mass, loss of hatch, loss of windshield, wrong turns. I think we've had wrong turns on almost every section of the course. Yep. So those are a little creepy when that happens, uh, or different things of uh, when... The first transition flag or transition flag is not required, but shoot flag is. So be like, okay, if you're if you're at shoot, please let us know if they failed to flag their buggy because we will then report those loss of mass and other things up to Sweepstakes. So we gave them a list, and depending on the severity, some of it was, hey, hang on to this information and let us know. And the other aspect, like, hey, here's the really high priority stuff. Let us know immediately.
0: Mm -hmm. I guess one thing I'm interested in with kind of you mentioned that. Pages long guidebook. How long do you know has Three VC been doing stuff with with sweepstakes?
1: I'd have to ha- ask a few older alumni. I know of an I know of an alumni ten years older than me who would have been around, been participating in the late eighties, early nineties. So I'm fairly certain at least that point. The club itself is probably older than Buggy itself. The mm-hmm. technology sort of came up around the same time. So I don't know when that merged and it could have been decades ago.
0: Right. But it, so it's something that really has been at least as far as we can assume, like the fabric of at least like modern era buggy or whatever. But I guess with some of that, like, are, do you all have to play a part in terms of reviews and announcements or like delivering news to, to people?
1: No, <laughs> which is one of the great So as more of the support structure is that we're just there to make sure things happen well. And it's anything that we think is a little hinky, we can report up to sweepstakes and such, but it's, we have not had that role of needing to interact directly with the orgs for any of that type of rules or anything else like that. It's, we're, we're just there to support sweepstakes.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's, let's Mm -hmm. talk about the role on race day and, you know, even just, speculating so much more happening, so much more tightly packed, right? Everything is so uh, well-oiled machine, hopefully. (laughs) Um, So so how does that, you know, role change for you all?
1: There's a substantial higher number of people that are needed because there's so much more going on around the course. So net control for years, we'd have had scaffolding so that we could be even more, in line of sight, in case the repeater goes down. Uh, the more recent years where we combined with the CMU TV was kind of nice on our budget.
0: <laughs> gotcha, because your scaffolding almost pre would predate
1: them. We we were there for quite a long time before they were. So the additional points around the course were, of course, we had to have someone at finish and at start, in addition to the other key points that I mentioned, and has has been mentioned through multiple of the other podcasts was. Timing prior to the new system, and so it's been mentioned that there was guys with stops, uh, stop watches in the back of the truck at the finish line. Part of how they knew when the course was when the roll started was that we would have radio people at, at the very start and at the finish, and the starts person's job was to record the sound of the timer counting down and then that gunshot or beep. And that sound would get broadcast up the hill to another radio person would be standing in front of all the guys with stopwatches. So we'd have as quickly as possible. So we wouldn't have the delay of sound going up the hill. Oh, wow. So in addition to that, uh, we also have shadows it, because sweepstakes isn't at top of hill anymore, but we still hold the net control up there. We assigned what we call shadows, which is someone whose job it is to just tag along behind the sweepstakes chairman and the safety chairman, and just be their uh, communication for around the course of, Hey, what's going on? Where did they need it? Uh, Hey, we got news of this going on over here. And those are really fun because safety chair is in the follow truck for each heat. (laughs) The sweepstakes chairman is in the lead. And so the shadow has to actually be there for each of those heats. So, Prior to BAA, starting to have that, uh, opening those up for uh, the auctions, that was a really fun way to get involved and be in those trucks and get to be part of the most exciting parts of the race.
2: Yeah. Lead truck or chair shadow is definitely my favorite position on race day because the lead truck is just so much fun.
1: My favorite is follow truck.
0: And within those, then you're almost, I guess, are are they just listening to the radio or do you just kind of? echo everything coming through if there's anything interesting or
1: we're typically wearing uh, earbuds sometimes we're going past the speakers and other things and the crowd are so loud that so we've got actual like an earbud with directly what's going on so we're constantly relaying it's like hey here's some important things of what's going on could be all sorts of weird things like someone dumped his water out on hill three midway between heats there's like all sorts of weird things going on be like hey by the way this is what's going on
0: so how many what is that like seven or eight people at that point on race day needed
1: a minimum yes but that's still less than you need to roll one buggy at free rolls i think aton when he was rebuilding cia figured out that minimum for them was about nine
0: how many people generally were in radio club when y'all were there at school because that's you know i have no idea how big ham radio is or not but like eight people willing to like really go in and do all that for race day is a pretty cool commitment
1: yeah. Well, and it fluctuated a lot over the years. Uh, one nice thing that we have is that the alumni can still participate even hmm. and come back. So we had a lot of years of alumni who were still willing to come back. So that was a huge help for us numbers wise. I do have to say that when I was in charge, I actually had a little bit of trouble recruiting because I was an alumni. I, didn't, I wasn't there out and about the way the other students right. were. So I had some trouble recruiting I think the lowest year we ever had was actually the last year with the timer. One thing I didn't mention is that, uh, back when we had the old timers come out, one guy would bring his, uh, bring his daughter and she would lug that infamous machine back and forth between the start line and finish line. The other guy did not. And we would be expected. It's like, oh, Hey, you're going to be around the timer anyways. Maybe you should have someone be part of the group that's pa- passing this thing up and down. And that year, we got to the point, I absolutely needed everyone with a license to be actually transmitting. I went to the fledgling BAA group and I said, I am so sorry, but I really need your help on this. And Aton stepped up to the plate and lugged that ridiculous machine back and forth. And next year, they came up with something else that was way better. <laughs>
0: Yeah, sometimes stuff like that will spur innovation. So Eitan had to like go up and down hill one every single. Yes. Wow. Or that other guy's daughter, which is, that's intense.
2: Yeah, we would throw um, extra receivers that we had to the king and queen of the hill timers. Even just, they couldn't talk, but they could listen in and that way they could get the start beep as well. Just again, to help beat the speed of sound using technology.
0: Wow. That's such an operation. Cause it's one of those things I think, you know, I never actually did buggy, but I feel like even if you did, you see three VC around the whole time, but like you're saying, I guess you're never really interacting that maybe at the shoot side you are with some of the flaggers, but other than that, it seems like it's pretty much all between y'all and sweepstakes.
2: Yeah. Um, but if anyone, if a buggy ever stops, uh, we don't know why they stop. So whether sometimes it's visible, sometimes it's not apparent why they stop. So whichever radio club operator is closest to them is usually the first person to talk to the driver just to check in on them. Mm. So if a buggy does stop suddenly, usually order of operations is radio club operator calls in that there's a stop at their location. Then they run over, jump down on the ground and try and get FaceTime with the driver and say, just hi, how are you feeling? Are you coherent or not? And then report that status back to sweepstakes if they need EMS or whatnot. And then the teams will show up in the follow truck and shove us out of the way.
0: I was going to say, yeah, I imagine teams, obviously safety is important, but also secrecy with with some of them. How do they feel about, you know, you all being the first ones peering at the buggies?
1: I've definitely been shoved out of the way while trying to establish whether or not the driver was conscious. So, well, so this is a fascinating thing is that we were there during the transition prior to EMS being there on hand was the. Uh, we were just all there. It was some people had first aid knowledge and stuff, but it wasn't always, yeah, we were prior to them paying for EMS to actually send people there to sit in the chute and be present. So there were a couple very scary uh, incidents where, yeah, we were establishing what's going on. We're trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, the one that really comes to mind for me was driver was extracted was initially okay. But as I'm watching everyone look around and try to plan stuff, I realize no one's looking at her to see how she's doing. And the driver is starting to wobble side to side. So I, I quickly ran around the buggy, got behind her just as she collapsed at this point. Yeah. There were multiple things that went wrong in this particular case. None of us had CMU EMS number on our phone. We hadn't programmed it in. So I called 911. I'm snuggling the driver trying to convey. Convey body heat to her and 911. They don't know what buggy is, they sent a fire truck. And if we had been in direct communication with EMS, they would have known how to communicate that they needed an ambulance, not a fire truck. So she was taken to the hospital. I saw her a couple months later. She was fine, but it was still a very scary progression of realizing, like, wait, like, there's no one person whose job it is to look after the driver. So that was some one of the things that I tried to instill with the other radio club people was like, hey, let's everyone's gonna be looking around. It's gonna be a madhouse, but look check that driver and keep watching. Make sure either someone from the club is looking after her or you yourself be there.
0: That's wild, especially right. No EMS experience, I imagine, for most of y'all. And it's sort of like how to square all of that. I, I think kind of with that can. Uh, segue into some of the um, uh, stories or anecdotes or different things you've, you've seen on the the course with that. Cause I imagine, right. You're in some of the best spots to see stuff happen and you're listening to the chairs the whole time. So I imagine y'all probably have some, some stories to tell.
1: Sure. I, there are some fun things. The buggy itself is a weird sport, but the stuff that goes behind the scenes is, even more bonkers. One of the things that sort of struck me over multiple times was the group that handles reservations for Flagstaff Hill is a completely separate organization from who does the permits on the roads. So there would be special events trying to get to Flagstaff Hill. And we'd have to be like, got into this multiple negotiations of like, oh, how much stuff do you need to cross? How much stuff is going across? And just like, do we need to stop rolls? Do we need to double check? Or is it something that can wait till 9 a.m.? So yeah, I there was some big event on homecoming weekend scheduled to start at 8 a.m. And we're just like, okay, pause after this follow truck to get these food catering trucks across to get over, up to that.
2: Yeah, I have a whole list of stories because um, <laughs> during freshman and sophomore year, I felt like I was cursed on the course. And wherever I was stationed, things buggies would tend to crash in weirder ways than usual. Um, or other things would tend to go wrong that were outside the norm. So like, I was at Scape a couple times, which is our position at the end of the chute right next to Scape Hall. So if we had four people on a free rolls day, that's where we would tend to put the fourth. Um, and I think I've had two different buggies hop the curb there onto the grass, which is kind of weird because they should be under propulsion and not be going too fast at that point. I've had buggies turn left on Panther Hollow and stop. luckily stop before they hit the barricades. I had buggies go straight at the chute, which isn't too weird. The worst incident I saw was a buggy somehow managed to pull a hairpin turn going into the chute and go headfirst into the inner hay bales, like right where the gazebo is. Um, And they actually came like halfway out of the buggy. So that was a bad incident. I can't remember if that was a free rolls or a race day. My favorite crash, and don't worry, I'm not a sadist for the drivers. Um, The driver turned left on Westinghouse Road, which is that little road off to the side in between the top of the hill and Panther Hollow that everyone forgets about. Um, They turned left at Westinghouse. There were barricades on the road. They went in between the barricades and didn't hit any of them. There was a curb in front of them, but there was a curb cut in the curb, and they managed to find the curb cut and not go headfirst into the curb. There are the wooden posts in front of the curb cut to prevent cars from driving up there, which they also managed to perfectly dodge in between. And then there is a tree with like on a pile of dirt with some large rocks, at least like a buggy sized rocks next to the tree. And the driver just parked themselves on the pile of dirt without hitting either the rock or the tree. So that's they turned like left own... the worst time and then missed every solid object.
0: Precision line, that's wild.
2: Yeah, and like I called it from top of hill or I, I think I was net this day and it was a while. And I was like, Panther, you haven't called the buggy go by. And they're like, yeah, they didn't go by. We're like, what, where's the buggy look down the hill and we see them parked there. Like, Oh, everyone starts running down to pick them up.
0: I don't know how drivers drive like period. And then with what would you, I don't know if you have any idea if it was an experienced driver or
2: I don't I know. probably
0: not. Cause they veered off like that, but.
2: Um, yeah. I, I was impressed after turning left at the wrong time, they did manage to successfully dodge all obstacles. So, and then when I was neck, the first time I was neck control, uh, cause Catherine was training me and after doing a day or half a day of training, she let me be in charge of the net. Um, we actually had a repeater failure. So normally the repeater just works all the time, but it actually started dying on us. So we actually did have to switch to the backup frequency that we missed earlier. So, that was kind of fun, getting to deal with coordinating. Uh, and it was actually good Catherine, I think, was still there because we were able to have one person on each frequency. Mm. So as, like, every station, like, got the message they had to switch over to the backup, we could still make sure we were communicating with them, even though no one was on the same frequency anymore. Um, that was fun. The second time I was net control, Baker failed. And by Baker failed, I mean the water main under Baker Hall ruptured. So it start, so it was a nice... That, I forget whether Saturday or Sunday, but it was a beautiful day. Everyone was super excited for rolls. and Shoot calls out that there's this brown liquid coming down the back hills, and they wanted to say that it looked like sewage or shit, but you can't swear on the radio. That's one of the rules as oh, part because it's FCC
0: regulated, right? Yeah.
2: So they were trying to describe this brown liquid coming down the road, which was just muddy water, but they didn't realize this at the time. But they were trying to avoid saying anything that would possibly result in them or the club getting fined. So and it was just this hilarious et- description walking around what it was. And I think we did like one or two more buggies. And It was like, OK, this is a little weird, but it's not too bad. And then it just turned into a river eventually. And the hay bales were getting flooded and soaked. And we just oh, had to call God. off rolls at that point. Um, but yeah, there was a water main under Baker. The steam tunnel under there flooded. Uh, the sidewalk outside one of the doors ruptured. It got inside a little bit and just this brown wa- river going down. So buggy ended early. We all walked around listening to CMPD try to deal with the crisis. Shutting off that water main to prevent the flood like caused pipes to start bursting in Baker and, or sorry, Ween and Doherty. Um, there are, I think at least one or two water fountains that either turned themselves on or were turned on and then refused to turn off again. And I think one CMPD officer reported uh, water drifting into an electrical closet. And we were like, oh, that'll be fun, potentially. God. Yeah,
1: this is mm-hmm. the other fun thing of amateur radio. We can listen into the different frequencies used by the
2: CMU police.
0: Yeah, I was okay. So that's also on ham or whatever
2: uh, frequency. It's, mm-hmm. it's a different frequency but ham radio, but a lot of business or public safety radios tend to be pre-programmed because the operators don't care about the radio. They just want to be able to push the button and talk. Amateur radios, because we do care about just like hopping to random frequencies, they tend to at least be able to listen to a much wider band or a much wider range. So they can tune in to listen on public safety frequencies, but almost always are prevented from actually talking there. Sweet.
0: Um, just jump into some other stuff there. I mean, one thing that kind of It seems like there's not a ton of margin for error in some ways on, on your end where like, you're such a backbone to everything. Like, is that something that's ever manifested where like when things go wrong, like how does that play out in terms of affecting buggy?
1: We've had some really close calls. I was just reminded of this, this morning during the time that I was in charge, I asked everyone to show up like 20 minutes early like, let's just make sure everyone's coming so I can start calling up. Let's double check. If you need me to make a phone call for, to wake you up, I will happily do so. So myself and one other person are out there and it's, we need that third guy. So I'm doing some radio checks just to like waste the time in between. And with two minutes to go, car comes racing down out of the golf course. And I see that it's our third person. He parks on top of the grass at top of Hill, hops out and says, it's a good thing you tested your radio because that's what was sitting next to his bed. And that's what woke him up. Oh,
0: because <laughs> I assume they just wouldn't be allowed to go if if there aren't three of you all there. Or...
1: This is why I almost always scheduled four people, partly mm. for the training and getting people around and like, hey, maybe we could have like a rover going around because that's the other thing is we are stuck there. I mean, it's, if someone is barricading at one of the locations, they can call up to the org and be like, hey, I need a bath and break. Can you send someone down? We're stuck with just who else has an FCC license and is also neutral enough to join. So I always try to have that buffer of, okay, we have a new person. I don't know how reliable they are yet. I'm going to schedule four. And race day was always fascinating. Like I mentioned, lots of alumni come back, but a lot of them do like to sleep in. So we'd be like, bare bones minimum at the very start of roles and then we'd slowly gain more and more rovers as more alumni showed up to watch the race i've certainly done that
0: a time or two (laughs) missed the first uh heat or so
2: oh i did miss my i forgot my camo story Mm -hmm. um so there's a rule that you can't sit on the hay bales in the chute because you might get hit by a buggy um, and this rule exists for a very important reason, because you might get hit by a buggy. And one day I was in the shoot on free rolls, and I felt I knew slightly better because I had a direct line of communication to when, cam- when the buggies would start rolling. So I could get up with plenty of time for the buggy. Um, so I was just sitting on the chute talking to, I think, my friend in EMS at the time who was standing there with me and i'm like okay buggies are coming okay buggies at panther i guess i should get up now stood up and i'm like oh it's camo this is one of the buggies that i recognize at least camo's a little distinctive the eight Pi buggy um and it gets to where it should turn and i'm like camo's not turning and then camo comes and at the last second turns but basically slams sideways into the outer hay bales and the left wheel just shears off and goes flying away So, and it actually, and Camo managed to crash into the bale I was sitting on. So it was very good that I had gotten up ahead of time. Wow. Um, And I think that was, I think they welded the wheel back on and it then failed again on the next roll. And that might've been Camo's last roll. I can't remember (laughs) if they fixed it a second time after that.
1: Camo is kind of infamous. AE Pi came out and it's, bless them for coming out because Camo was definitely one of the slowest buggies on the course Mm -hmm. by far. To the point where, Uh, this was around the time that they were trying to encourage orgs to be like ready to go as soon as it was clear. And the org after them had a little bit of a grace period because, oh, is it time to go? You're behind camo, so you have time. (laughs) That time, (laughs) that group got a little bit more leeway for setting up (laughs) their buggies. Uh, But camo is the one that uh, we finally, for years, someone was trying to have a sweepstakes exhibition heat Mm -hmm. of different sweepstakes chairs and stuff. And AE Pi decided to loan camo for the thing. <laughs> this was a double edged sword. Uh, I did as much recruiting as I possibly could, and we ended up having three different people on Hill Four. And I think, yeah, I was Hill Five for that. It's just like, I remember this hill being shorter. Oh, wait, it was shorter when I was pushing a CIA buggy.
0: Yeah, right. Not the absolute tank that is.
2: Yeah, uh, I did try to make a radio club versus sweepstakes exhibition race happen. (laughs) Like I saw exhibitions my freshman year and I was like, oh, this is great. Let me try. And then my sophomore, junior, senior years, we kept only getting one day due to weather. So there were no exhibitions and my plans were foiled. That was quite sad.
0: Yeah, there was that stretch there for a while when it was just only one race day forever.
2: Yeah, I think I wanted like radio club plus EMS, whatever we could get together versus sweepstakes like just the neutral support
1: would have been fun uh my first race day was 99 the year that we raced on sunday
0: so there was no day one it was just everything was mm -hmm.
1: prelims on friday it was a gorgeous day and they rained out the last couple heats so of course had to redo prelims we were there all bunch of hours on saturday like it would spritz wait for it to dry spritz wait for it to dry Odd thing from that day. <laughs> I don't know if they still have recordings of from the different race they broadcast. The Hill One pushers were giving piggyback races for the drivers up One, and RCT was broadcasting it. <laughs> so one of my friends, forward chair, she wanders onto the course, like, what the heck is going on? The times are way too short. <laughs> Because it's these piggyback rides that were being broadcast as races.
0: Oh my right, because it was just RCT. So you don't have visual of the <laughs> core shatter record shattering piggyback times. Yeah. One day, maybe I don't know. Well, hopefully we have a race day again next year. I've always wanted to do a uh exhibition. I've never actually pushed a buggy. I feel like everybody who's involved at some point should get a chance just to I have no idea. I don't know if I mean, Catherine, I assume you probably have through CIA involvement, Ben. I don't know if you've ever.
2: Can't remember if I ever have. Might have been like one practice role day in where I tagged along with CIA, but that was probably it.
1: When I was in CIA, I managed to do almost every single possible role. So I was initially just a pusher, became a mechanic, occasionally did flagging, became the assistant chairman, and. How do I best say this? CIA had a really old buggy called Stealth that I am five seven and I could fit into it, so I got to drive for push practices.
0: <laughs> I've heard about Stealth.
1: Yes, uh, what people forget is that buggies—it's not just a matter of height; it's also width. The buggy was actually bowing out on the sides from my shoulders. My shoulders were really sore by the end of those times. Yeah, but luckily it was square, so I it was a square shape so I could rotate to be along the hypotenuse and get some stretching. So
0: you're in there like <laughs> diagonally through being pushed.
1: I'd actually lay flat for the actual pushing part, but it was like, Oh, my shoulders are killing me. 45 degree turn. Ah. <laughs> Relax in between the races. That's wild. Yes. That thing was like an RV for the other drivers. They were like, Oh, it's so cushy in here. I'm like, Sure. I'll take your word for it.
0: One thing I'm kind of curious too about in the the radio club thing is obviously I imagine like y'all get pretty close with sweepstakes. So I don't know if there's anything specifically with that in terms of just like stories or experiences or like.
1: Certainly Uh, going from being having been chair of CIA and. As has been mentioned by the advisors and other people in this podcast, like what you see as just your own org versus the whole logistical organization, it's fascinating how much more is going on. So, when I was in charge of radio club for the buggy side of it, I would attend those buggy chairman meetings and get to see what's going on. And over the years, it was fascinating to watch what would, how the priorities shifted or what were. You tend to see the same issues crop up, but every once in a while, you'd see something new. So things like uh, potential rule changes about, uh, yeah, people are getting pissed off at some groups for not doing their chores, but the main idea is we just need the chores to get done. So maybe change the rules to encourage credits for orgs that step up. So uh, different changes like that and getting to just at least be part of the conversation, uh, especially on the safety side, be like, hey, I don't care about the competition. I just wanna make sure buggy can still happen next year because there hasn't been something major bad happen. Mm-hmm. There were some really fun ones though. It's a, if there's a meeting after the prelims, there's a couple hours while sweepstakes and the people who do the recordings, camera recordings will sort of hunker down into a room and review anything. And then there's a meeting of like, Hey, here's what's going on. Here's what the different times for the pre- prelims. And here's all the different DQs that we saw. Some of my favorite quotes have come from that meeting. Because sometimes you get these years where, especially as the number of cameras increased, meant that there was more definitive DQs Mm -hmm. that were more just sort of rumors ahead of time. There was some year, there were so many, more than we expected. And we keep going through this list. We're like, holy cow, this is a lot. And suddenly one of the guys goes, oh my God. And he gets on the phone. He's like, tell the B team, stop drinking. (laughs) (laughs) They had not even anticipated reaching day too but it it's like oh my god our b team made it guys guys let them know and i've heard from others uh this podcast organizer with rachel she said the same thing happened to her she's at fuel and funnel and the chair calls her was like go to bed go to bed you've made it today too. Oh my
0: god yeah when there's just like so many dqs it's like oh well i guess we jumped up five spots so 3vc are you required to be in then the the chairman's meetings and and all that stuff or that was just kind of more from your own personal experience?
1: I don't think they're necessarily required, but I always found it useful to know just, I mean, cause in the very least, like that's the dates, like they, it wasn't, there were email distribution lists. So we needed to at least make sure we were on the, on the email distribution list for the tra- chairman so that we heard all of those announcements of what are the dates? When are we ro- rained out? In addition, uh, if any of the rules changes, uh, one of the things that one of the bits of massive chaos that was happening while i was radio club was not all of the organizations paid that close attention to the rules on what color their stop flag Mm -hmm. needed to be and so during free rolls it's not that big a deal each one comes out during their time flags the buggy and goes back but it whenever it was out of order you'd occasionally get the wrong person flagging a buggy and that caused some chaos when one of the orgs was using a yellow flag on their using a yellow flag for their go flag and everyone else was using that as their stop flag so yeah radio clubs hey called buggy stopped we think she applied the brakes and then it, yeah it, it got into an organization we needed to to report back to Sweepsuits. like yeah by the way what we're seeing is that this buggy got co- the wrong color in front of them
0: yeah, I had a conversation yesterday. We recorded one with flaggers to just talk about mm-hmm. the the lost art of, of flagging, and we actually did go into that a bit. I guess now it's like one standardized stop flag or whatever. And yep. um, but yeah, even right, it's not red, and then like SDC is red, and it's like, does red mean stop? No, black and yellow means means stop. And
2: yeah, yeah. And the club back radio club actually has a couple of stop flags. No go flags. We just have a couple of stop flags in the shack that we would occasionally bring just in case for like Panther where there isn't a flagger there and there's a stop in the chute. We can stop the buggy earlier and keep them from getting to the incident. Mm.
1: They might be too small to actually be noticeable, but it was, I'm glad the attempt was made. The flagging was fascinating. During the time that I was there, one of the CIA former, other CIA former chair, Aileen, She was participating as a grad student. So she came out as a flagger so that she'd be away and not causing leadership conflict, but still participating. But that was the most organized set of flaggers I have ever seen. When someone called out break flag, you would see like all of them would jump up and you get a line of flaggers out there with their stop flags. If someone went past that, that was a problem because there were so many break flags (laughs) visible.
0: She was actually on the, uh, the call we had yesterday as one of the (laughs) volunteers to speak on, on flagging. So that, that totally makes sense in hindsight after, uh, talking with her yesterday, any other things in kind of the anecdote, um,
1: Um, one for me that I, so, Mm -hmm. as Ben and I have mentioned, we love the lead truck and follow truck. There's so much stuff that you get to see as like watching the buggy through that whole progression. It is really fun to watch. Myself as former CIA and for the few years where they still tried to do a dropping push bar, it dropped forward so it was within the rules, that thing would mess up so many times and it gave me so many gray hairs to watch it from that follow truck. One of the times I wasn't aware of this until afterwards, the driver was told to just send it up and down all through the free rolls. So I'm just watching (laughs) it going, what the heck is going on? And then she forgot to put it up when she actually reached till three. So I was like, oh dear. But my all time favorite because of the reactions, I believe it was Mirage. So with how, I'm sure this is not state secrets anymore, uh, with how it was constructed that the actual handle bar had to come off in order to get the shell on and off and had to be tightened down and if that didn't happen it might unscrew itself so mirage gets a push at the top of hill two handlebar pops off and i am watching from the lead truck the lead judge is falling laughing so hard he's crying because he he saw what was going on and i'm sitting next to the broadcaster at the time i think it was alan from RCT, and he's just talking about how oh CIA is known for their dropping push bar blah, blah, blah. and it's just like I had to do this hand motion of pulling the handlebar away <laughs> and at which point I see this dawning of understanding that no this is not what's supposed to happen that buggy is missing the actual handlebar oh, the hill three four and five hated that I, I- I, think, I hope it was exhibition. I can't remember. But they were pushing up the buggy by holding on to the staff and pushing it. Oh, my
0: them. God. Cool. You know, I we talked a little bit about kind of the relationship with sweepstakes. But I don't know. Just kind of curious on your perspective of, like, in general, how the buggy world kind of sees 3VC and if there's anything. Obviously, we've gone into a lot of detail on it. But, like, you know, you feel like getting on the record or whatever that. Uh, may have been missed otherwise, or like what that relationship sort of is is like, you know, with the sport at large,
1: in terms of how radio club interacted with other orgs. I try to stay very cognizant that we really are beholden to sweepstakes. This would be a little odd during the actual free roll practices because I was anyone at net control frequently myself would be well. I'm the one letting them know when it's time to send the next buggy, and I really want that information to flow through sweepstakes. But occasionally, it ended up going directly to the orgs, be like, "Hey, send your buggy." But in general, because we were non-competitive, I was trying to make sure that we respected that hierarchy of mm-hmm. making sure sweepstakes was the respected voice
2: of, of the course. Like trying to work with sweepstakes to help them keep things going smoothly, but also just try and, to some degree, stay out of the way of the racing orgs because
0: mm-hmm.
2: I didn't want to be responsible for them losing due to some random thing
0: right and maybe this answer is kind of that but you know i i think it's interesting to get people's different perspectives on like to them what was a successful race day you know it's pretty clear from like a team perspective or whatever from like sweepstakes like well the race day happened or whatever is that sort of the case with y'all or is there anything like you can remember Is like that was a great race day for radio club and like what made it that
1: For good race days, for us, we're always the ones that had the least number of incidents. And I'm sure this is true for all the many of the other orgs that uh, are supporting as well. It's we want a safe and productive race day. We don't want to see an ambulance. We don't want to see an accident. We want just the race to happen. And we want there to be as low drama as possible, whether it be the timing or anything else going on. Uh, it was really cool to watch the records being set in 08 so 07 the roads were terrible i think that was the year where lane two they actually tried to set up the heat so that no one was using lane two if we could avoid it and it's so funny because as soon as we knew that the course had been repaved we're like yep this is gonna be a record-setting year because the roads are that that good so that was really cool to watch some of those differences that particular year i looked up at my notes. We actually had a ton of rainouts. The drivers really didn't get that much time on the course that spring, all of February and half of March was rained out. So for me, that's even more incredible how much was able to happen as a successful race day.
2: Pretty now, much. Yeah. Like as our goal is to make things run smoothly. So as long as the races just keep going and there's nothing getting in the way, then like we're pretty happy.
0: Cool. Um, I guess then go ahead with last one. I always like to ask everyone across all the podcasts, this, um, sort of what has buggy meant to you? You know, what sort of impact was, because both of you, obviously, you know, honestly out there more than a lot of pushers, you know, in terms of the amount of days, hours actually logged. So sort of what, what has being a part of the sport meant to you?
1: So being part of Buggy as a student was amazing. I was there for the rebuilding of CIA. My very senior year, we we finally made it to day two and we were so happy just to reach that point. So for me, it wasn't about like the top winning, it was about enjoying being out there. So for me, Radio Club was a natural transition of being able to be out there and participating in the madness and helping it to be sustained. In terms of how what we've used that for since then, uh, as Ben has mentioned, those safety nets get used for other things around the year, marathons, other things. So my first non-buggy related item was I got to participate in the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix. Mm. Late July, they shut down the roads of Shenley Park and they race cars around that area, which is really fun. They actually overlap with a buggy course. They go anti-buggy word from Panther Hollow Bridge and then off at Westinghouse is part of their course. And between the Vintage Grand Prix and the Pittsburgh Marathon, those are two items where the organizers, if we say that we are part of CMU's buggy group, radio club, they're like, oh, thank goodness, because we have so much more experience with safety nets than almost anybody else who's out there. I have been net control for one of the four nets for marathon multiple years in a row because the organizer is a former CMU radio club person himself. And he knows that I have lots and lots of experience that is completely relevant to how the marathon safety net is run.
2: Yeah, for me, it was uh, getting to be part of something weird. Buggy is definitely a specialty. And (laughs) even among that, being in the weird support role, that's not one of the standard racing orgs, was kind of fun. Grow, like I've always been a space nerd and getting to be like a, one of the organized voices like in mission control was kind of a fun little part of being that control for me. Just calling on all the other stations and making sure things were go for the next role. And then, yeah, it was just, it was good training for weird other potentially useful things and a chance to see crazy stuff happen.
0: Do you do you still do do radio stuff, Ben?
2: I know. Uh, not really. Mm-hmm. There's clubs in the LA area, but I haven't found the time to try and get into any of them.
0: Right. I guess you're landing rockets and stuff like that. So,
2: yeah, it's a little time consuming.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, don't want to cut um, this short. If if y'all still got some more.
1: I the mean, car just- chase was, I mean, it, the thing is, the sad thing is how frequently it happens. I looked, it's a lot of cars ignore the barricades. Um, so I was there during the time period where we went from like having two barricades at shoot to having the entire line covered because people would come out of the FIPS parking lot for staff and they'd try to turn right towards where the buggies were coming. So we started needing more barricades to keep cars from that point. Over at Panther Hollow Bridge, eh, we'd get the occasional someone was trying to make a delivery to Phipps and didn't realize they needed to come from the other bridge. The weirdest for me was first we had a car come and that things went wrong. That car got onto the course. The next car to go p- past the cop that's at the end of the other end of the bridge, I could hear what sounded like a car chase behind me. This big Ford truck is coming up screaming on the hill and it's like he sees a second set of barricades stops and he's about to make a K-point turn and this other co- truck comes screeching up behind him stops, the cop comes out slams his head on the hood and says so like, what do you think you're doing? And yeah, uh, that was a little unnerving to hear right behind me as buggies were going past God. at the stop sign. I think that guy either got a 50 or or $100 ticket. It was, yeah, that cop was not pleased that someone had gone past him.
0: Right. Wow. How many cars come?
1: My my first couple of years of radio club, part of the problem was that there was construction happening where there's now Newell Simon building and the cars couldn't leave out that way. So the only way they could come out was through that entrance near Scaife so on a regular basis, we'd be like, hey, guys, we have a car that needs to come out. we would have to stop that guy and send them out behind the follow. We'd give them very precise instructions on where they needed to go or they'd stop and we'd send them out by shoot. But yeah, that one was really tricky because they couldn't come out of that parking lot anywhere else. So we had to make pauses in the free rolls to let that happen.
2: Yeah. I don't remember any particularly interesting stories. Just cars would try to sneak in, sneak out ambulance once or twice, a lot of bicycles sneaking up to the course. Yeah. You could tell who was a local cyclist because they know that we were yelling at them and they were like, yeah, yeah, whatever sidewalks. (laughs)
0: Uh, Well, cool. I think that's about everything I wanted to cover. I appreciate both your time, uh, this afternoon and, uh, I think other than that, I don't know if you want to do any pretend radio talk to to sign us off or something like that.
2: (laughs) I think I remember the net close. Uh, Go for it. Okay. This has been a regular session of the Carnegie Mellon Buggy Safety Net. The Carnegie Tech Radio Club would like to thank all stations who have checked in this morning and those stations monitoring who have so kindly remained clear of the frequency for the duration of the net. The net will meet again tomorrow morning at 0600 hours. This now concludes the net today at approximately 0905 local time. This is KB1SZH operating as W3VC, now clear of the frequency.
0: So there you have it, Uh, Radio Club. Uh, Very, very interesting stuff. Just all the little details in and out. I don't know, that that, that fascinates me. Hopefully it fascinated you. If you want to go ahead to the CMU Buggies Discord, uh, let us know what you thought of this episode, any reactions, any fun stories uh, it may bring to mind. We are closely nearing the end of this season of Shoot the Shit. Uh, maybe one or two more episodes uh, so make sure to get them in but as always let us know if you want uh, different topics or people or things for us to discuss and explore would love to do those Um, as always shout out the Buggy Alumni Association uh, especially Rachel Schmidt uh, who's really produced this season actually brought you most of these guests and topics and really put together a lot of these great uh, stories makes my job easy to just go on here and talk uh so you know especially reach out to her if you have ideas for other episodes um and other than that yeah thank you all for for listening uh we'll have another episode for you out next week and uh hopefully you enjoy race day uh this year which i, I guess we're more or less getting in some form or fashion so pretty exciting uh thanks again buggy fans i'm will weiner and uh talk to you next week.